Well, hi, and welcome to this episode of Tech Lasso. My name is Mark Schwanz, and I'm here with my colleague, Scott Moss. Hello. Uh, and today we're joined by Imran Hussein. He's the founder and CEO of TechArise, an ed tech company. Well, of course, we'll have him tell us all about it. And I want to just say welcome, Imran. I'm glad you're with us today. Good to be here, Mark and Scott. Great. Well, hey, wanted to know if you would just take a minute and let us know about yourself and what is TechArise? Yeah, that sounds good, Mark. So a little bit about myself. I am based in New York City. I've um, been in the technology space for going on to about 30 years now. And, I, you know, I've uh, my, my entry point into TechArise, though, you know, started really about 10, 11 years ago when, when my kids started public schools in New York City. Um, where we live. And having been in technology for a lot of years, uh, what I became pretty quickly, you know, was, you know, the, the the tech parent, you know, that was basically going in and out of schools, you know, helping out with hooking up new smart boards uh, or helping out with the, the R of code or typing software and things like that. Um, and that's where, you know, I really started to, to see firsthand uh, through conversations with teachers, through being in classrooms, through talking to principals, I started to see this really significant uh, gap between the technology opportunities that are or were available to teachers and what teachers are actually able to do with technology. And and that gap in, in confidence and comfort with integrating technology purposefully and effectively uh, in the classroom so that it truly drives student outcomes is really what TechArise is out there looking to solve. That's the specific problem uh, that we've set out to solve. And, and, you know, as we sort of get into this a little bit, uh, Mark, you know, I can, uh, you know, talk about our model and, and how we're doing that. But I wanted to just sort of provide that context of, of my journey so far and my entry point into uh, into this space and, and launching startup and looking to solve the problem of teachers uh, not having the level of confidence and comfort and support that they could have or should have in order to be effective integrators and users of technology in the classroom. Well, that's fantastic. You know, I was uh, thinking about your story that you had shared with me and just that aspect of how you got involved with your kids' school or schools. Was that just something that naturally happened because you saw the need? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've always been the, you know, the, the tech guy, right. In, in pretty much any community, right. So I'm, I'm the guy that people will say, well, if you, if you have a tech question, go to him. Um, but I think I might've shared that specific story with you, uh, Mark, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a year ago or, or, or even longer, you know, when, when we first chatted or met, um, and that really sort of came out of something that was happening in my uh, my second son's classroom. You know, he was in fifth grade at the time, um, and his his science teacher, brilliant, brilliant teacher, right? He just has done phenomenal things for uh, the science program at that elementary school that my son was at. Um, and she was organizing for, around a science fair. Um, and the kids had to do this really cool project where they were uh, using the 3D printers that they were fortunate enough to have in the classroom. And they were printing out these boats. Um, and the idea was that they had to design these boats so that the boats could float 
and then hold as many coins, I think they were using dimes or nickels, uh, as possible. And so to cut a long story short, you know, they, they ended up being about, um, you know, 10 kids that were participating in this and they got the opportunity to um, uh, to be at a science fair and kind of demo what, what they had done. And the night before the fair, uh, the teacher calls me up and says, hey, can you help me with something? And I said, sure. And she goes, hey, I need to produce a graph, like a pie chart, uh, and then maybe a bar graph that shows um, what the results were from the experiments that the kids did so that we can have that up on the board. And I don't know how to do that in Excel. And that kind of blew my mind because, you know, as someone who's been in tech for a long, long time and obviously is very proficient with with Excel, for me, this was just trivial and commonplace. And what it made me realize was that on the one hand, you have a teacher that's just so brilliant on the curriculum and on the instruction and knows how to engage students. But when it comes to tech, like using softwares in order to uh, to improve instruction, in order to to be able to present more effectively, she struggles, um, and she struggles primarily. And and there's many many of them, as I've realized now uh, over time, is there's, there's many teachers that actually struggle with those kinds of things because softwares have just gotten much more complicated. There's so many features that you have to remember, and how does a teacher find the time during the day to remember all those things that you need to remember in order to really be able to achieve what you want in the classroom, and that sort of started my journey. It was about um, sort of recognizing that this existed, this gap between, hey, I've got all this cool technology that I can actually use. And mm-hmm. and then what am I able to do with it um, if I actually don't have the, the support or the scaffolding that I need to get there? And, and that was really sort of the, the starting point for, uh, for TechArise. I see. And, you know, I, I've seen through some of the things that you've shared that there's this great need that you're trying to address, and that is for training and support for teachers. In your experience, have you seen some examples of like, yes, this works, or uh, maybe on the on the opposite side, oh boy, that's that's not a good approach. And you know, one way I'll respond to that is, I would say from, you know, as we conduct coaching sessions, uh, and and I'll explain what I mean by that, but when we conduct, you know, coaching sessions, um, I would say one metric and what I look for when I go back and and I often kind of, you know, hop around a little bit and look at sort of the the recordings from different sessions that we've done with different with with the instructional technologies that are on our team and i would say it's probably the joy it it's it's the wow i i don't i didn't know i could do that right that, when you hear that to me that's the single biggest metric or barometer of well, you you had a breakthrough, or we had a breakthrough when an instructional technologist was able to support a teacher on on the other side, um, and and even just specifically, I mean, I was actually just listening earlier to a recording from uh, from a session that took place a couple of days ago with a small group of teachers, um, and several of the teachers actually you know started the session um, basically saying, well, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much out there. Where do we start? And so where I think, and, and then on the flip side of that, where the challenge is, which which goes back to the question that you were asking, Mark, yes. uh, I hear very, very consistently from, from teachers at conferences or, or in closed sessions or when I'm presenting somewhere that, hey, we did a professional learning day on XYZ about three months ago, but now I want to go apply that to a lesson that I'm thinking about. And you know what? I don't remember much of it. 
Like, how do I go back and sort of, you know, go go extract that knowledge out okay. and then be able to apply it back in meaningful ways? And so what I think fundamentally has happened with our system is that um, we do professional learning or we, we do uh, learning days. But what we don't recognize is that learning, when you do a, a one intervention, uh, basically goes down or the retention of that information goes down pretty dramatically if you if you go out one day, two days, three days or a week, two weeks past the learning intervention. And now when you actually need help, when you're actually thinking about something that you may have picked up or something that you've been, uh, you know, thinking might be a good strategy to use in the classroom, you just don't have the support that you need. And you're not going to go back and look through a manual or go watch videos because we all know the teachers just simply don't have the time and they're fatigued with everything that's going on in, in the environment. And that's where yeah. the challenge is. And that's what we're looking to solve through our on-demand instructional technology support model. I see. No, hey, I I just got to take you back to that first part that you said that the most important metric is joy. Did you say yeah. joy? I did. Wow. That's the first time I've heard that said that way. And, you, you know, joy is not something that you can really have a metric on. So I guess you're you're kind of using a metaphor or the sense of uh, or can maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Can you measure joy or maybe that's the, the felt experience of, of uh, um, being able to use a tool to help learning? Yeah, I mean, that again, that's that's a fantastic question. Right. And it, and it sort of goes into this this almost this philosophical, you know, uh, sort of conversation now mm. of like, how do you measure joy, right? Because I mean, it's mm. it's not just what happens with the teacher in an instructional technology coaching session. I mean, this is life, right? Day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, um, I would say what what you can measure, um, and and it it's probably not joy, but it maybe is a proxy for it. Is mm-hmm. hey, how much did this elevate? Um, what you're able to do in terms of instruction, I see. how much did it elevate what what you got in terms of student engagement? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll share one little snippet with you, which which I I find to be a really interesting data point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the city of New York conducts student surveys um, every year, right? And so every year, these surveys that are put out to, uh, you know, there's 1.2 million students or so in, in New York City, uh, roughly about a fourth of them, so about 350,000 students respond to the survey. They do it every year. It's very structured. It's, it's lots of different uh, questions that they're asking. But mm-hmm. one of the questions that I zeroed in on um just because of what I do and because of, you know, my passion for seeing transformation in the classroom and getting students to be more engaged was this question to students on um, the question or it was the statement was, I feel bored during my classes. And then students had to strongly agree, agree, uh, disagree, or strongly disagree. I see. And believe it or not, 70% of kids in New York City classrooms basically said that they agreed or strongly agreed with that statement that they feel bored during class. Oh, wow. That's, um, that's amazing. So that's pretty, pretty crazy. Right. And, yeah, sure. um, and, and, and I mean, of course, New York city is, is a city's uh, public schools, pretty innovative system. I mean, there's, there's, there's huge, 
disparity issues, but the city does a lot. It's got a massive budget. It's got really, really good, competent, smart people that are looking to elevate education, but yet you yeah. have this as a fact. And and what do you do with that? Um, and And I believe that you know there are strides that we can make by using education technology and the and the tools that are available to us that can really truly make a difference in that. I see. Wow, that's that's great. I, I'd like to connect to something that you mentioned earlier. You talked earlier about a teacher who came to you and wanted she had the lesson plan and she came to you to say, uh, "I'd like you to help me make this pie chart uh, or these graphs for this project." So the instead of you know, us saying, hey, here's some technology that you should learn. It came from the teacher's need. And how do you leverage those kinds of things? And how do you find out about what it is that, you know, teacher pain points the teacher needs, as opposed to, uh, you know, people like us who do professional development dictating, hey, here's the important technology. Here's what you're supposed to know. Yeah, no, that's a great question, uh, Scott. And actually, uh, I'll, I'll say two things uh, to uh, to the uh, to, to that that question. The first is, which is not quite your your question, and I'll come back to that. But the first is that you know, if you kind of dissect that conversation or that interaction that took place between me and that teacher on that graph that she needed help with, um, the answer wasn't. You know, hey, uh, from my side, the answer was, and here's a bunch of YouTube videos that you can go watch, or here's a manual on Excel and how to create graphs, and why don't you go take a look at that, right? Because to your point, because the need was very clear, hey, I want to do this for this particular purpose, I was able to say, hey, no problem. Let's 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 do a quick session together. I'll show you. Here's the menu. Grab the data here. We'll select it from here to here, and boom! Five minutes later, we were done. Right, and so that sort of then feeds into to your point and in your question is well, what's the need? Um, because we can't throw a whole bunch of stuff, you know, uh, up in the air and say, well, well, you know, maybe you use that or maybe you use that resource. It's about saying, well, we now we know precisely what that need is, so we can address it. And so the way that we've done this through Decorize, and we realized sort of about a year and a half in, um, as we were going out there and having conversations with schools and districts, um, often and unsurprisingly now, uh, districts would say, we don't really know what our teachers need help with. Well, what is it? Uh, where should we help them? Uh, we're not sure. We just respond to requests for tools and we purchase those tools and we make them available. And so the way that we have solved this card is we we have a portfolio of about 50 uh, assessments of teachers that basically allow us to collect data directly from teachers. Um, um, and that covers things like, hey, what's my uh, level of comfort with integrating tech? You know, usually just one of the first four or five questions that we have just to establish, establish context. And then it'll go into specific things around, hey, am I... Um, uh, am I able to use EdTech tools efficiently for creating things like digital portfolios? Am I able to use them for formative assessments? Am I able to use them for implementing visible thinking practices? And so those assessments and the, you know the, that portfolio of assessments for us is broken down into really kind of three layers. The first is kind of an overarching technology skills assessment that allows us to really get a good feel for you know what's the environment that the teacher is in and what overall might be the struggles of that teacher and and 
the maybe the opportunities that they want to tap. The second middle layer is really content specific. So if I'm an ELA teacher versus math versus science, what's my edtech integration comfort level and proficiency there? And then kind of the bottom layer is um, is really tool specific. So hey, if I'm using Screencastify versus Flip versus Padlet. What's my level of proficiency there? Because believe it or not, even at that level of saying I'm using Padlet, I mean, there's 15 different ways that you can use, uh, and I'm just making that number up, but I mean, there's probably a lot more, but at least 15 to 20 different ways in which I can use Padlet to improve instruction. And if I am not getting feedback from a teacher on where am I at in, 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 in sort of my progression and my understanding of each one of those, well, then clearly I'm not going to be able to implement those those instructional strategies in the classroom. And that's where things kind of fall off the cliff. And so our, our, our goal is to use those assessments to be able to personalize professional development and coaching so that we can get much greater outcomes for teachers. Great. Thank you. Imran, I've been wanting to ask you a question about coaching, digital coaching, or I guess you also use the term instructional technologists. But even though there are different terms for the role of the professional trainer slash coach who can support teachers, uh, what I know you have a staff of about 40, right, that are uh, coaches or technologists? Yes, we do. So what, what would you say are the makings of a good tech coach? Because... You know, I know there there may be teachers who aspire to be a coach, or there may be administrators that are uh, trying to put together what would be the ideal coach so they can uh, have some good coaches on their staff. Yeah, I, that, that's a great question, Mark. So, look, I guess I'll I'll kind of set it up this way: uh, at the foundational level, you know, it's it's really sort of about the, the the technical knowledge, right? So clearly you do have to know the portfolio of tools or at least the portfolio of technology opportunities that are available, right? So you you need to be, that's not to say that you need to be familiar with every single tool out there um, because that's simply not possible. There's, there's you know, there's, there's about 8,000 tools out there in the marketplace Um around globally um and there's at least in an average district is probably at least at five to six hundred tools that they're supporting right so it's wait it's, a minute whoa just a minute did you say eight thousand to eight thousand ed tech tools that are out there yeah yeah that is yeah. amazing and then yeah, you said there's probably 600 to 800 available specifically for the average teacher uh no i guess i'll uh, i'll say that there are usually in um so uh, give you uh, an example yeah, i was talking to to someone that's a district leader uh in a in a district um that is about 25000 students um they have about 600 tools that they support and that number uh, of rough you know 5 to 600 tools that you're supporting at a district that's about that size um, and I mean, you know, support from a district level. So they're paying for it. They're engaging with vendors, all of that sort of stuff. Um, there's about five or 600. Now, if you think about, you know, what a teacher might actually have in and is actually uh, getting exposed to and, and using, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'd guess, Mark, it's probably around 18 to 20, 
Um, yeah. But okay. but I will also clarify though they, is that when I talk about these tools, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily something that that's as big and bulky and flexible um, as let's say a flip or a padlet or a screencastify, right? Um, I mean, it could mm-hmm. be a emoji creator, right? That basically allows you to do these really fun emojis and that you can reward kids with. Um, so so when you think about you know, what might be available that a teacher can actually gain access to. Um, and remember, teachers often go to conferences, they get marketing messages from edtech vendors. And so it's not uncommon at all for a teacher to say, hey, I just came across this really cool emoji maker and my my second graders are just going to love this. So I'm yeah. going to start using this. Except very soon, as they get into it, they realize, well, you know what? I mean, some of the basic stuff I can do, but now how do I share this thing? How do I create the file? How do I paste this into my my PowerPoint? How do I animate it, right? All those things, that's really where support is required because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just going to kind of do window, you know, kind of very, very high level kind of usage and, and interaction with with that that tool, even though it may have had great outcomes for you. So, so that's, that's part of of the challenge, Um, but I digressed, you know, your question was um, around what does it take to make a technology coach? And I guess where I was going with that is, you know, foundation layer is just having having understanding and proficiency with at least a good subset of tools so that, you know, you have that prerequisite knowledge. It's like me saying, I can't really go provide coaching to people on productivity tools if if I've never used Excel or Google Sheets, right? So, Right. Yeah. You need that foundational layer. Um, but be, but the second level up, um, I would say is is really sort of instructional knowledge. And so, um, uh, the the forty instructional technologies that we have on um, on our team, there's one thing in common. Well, there's multiple things in common, but there's at least one thing that we basically actively filter for uh, and is consistent across every single one of those 40 is that they've all been teachers in the classroom, every single one of them. So average 10 to, 10 to 11 years of teaching experience before they became instructional technologists. Um, and so why is that important? Well, that's critically important because, hey, if you're just someone that just understands technology, but doesn't understand the stuff that happens in a classroom in terms of interactions between a teacher and a student and where the challenges are, well, you're not going to be able to be to uh, uh, to have meaningful support that you can actually deliver to that teacher because you just don't understand the the environment that they function in. So that is the second piece. The third one, uh, just right at the top, I would say is much fluffier, but also probably the most critical. It's this this need for listening, active listening. Is this need for empathy? Is this need for understanding? And there is this true passion for moving the needle for teachers. And that I would say is I put that at the top because if you don't have that and you have the other two, I mean, it kind of doesn't matter anymore because if you're not getting into this conversation and these interactions with the sole purpose of, hey, I got to get this teacher to do more and and I want him or her to be, you know, kind of happy that they're now able to 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 drive change for the students in their classroom. Well, if you don't, if, you, if you're not motivated by that, then everything else is kind of a waste. I see. Very good. Well, I, I love the picture that you paint of, you know, what this ideal tech coach could be. And I know there are a lot of teachers 
like myself included on that list back in the day when I first started supporting teachers and technology. Uh, I, th I know there are a lot of teachers that take on this role of, of coach without the um, actual job title, you know, yep. so maybe, maybe that's something else you, you would look at is, um, but is this person so passionate about helping others uh, in their own professional growth and practice that they're willing to, uh, they just can't help, but help others because they want to, they want to see, they want to see them help helped. And yeah. do you have a specific kind of uh, procedure or process? Is there maybe initial meeting between a teacher and, and coach uh, where they, where the coach learns about the teacher's needs and then they plan together and do you have a certain kind of set, set uh, process for the way that you do that? Um, we do Scott and, and here's how, um, so we have a framework around it, but, but conceptually here's, here's what, uh, what it is. And I'll kind of talk through it. Um, so it's really about kind of talking through and establishing uh, through a rapport with with the teacher, um, uh, really five things. So the first is, um, tell me about yourself, right? So meaning, let me establish the context of who you are, where you are, what type of school, um, uh, you know, those things that are, uh, you know, are you a Google uh, environment? Are you an Apple environment? Those kinds of things. So tell me about yourself, right? And and that often when you're getting into a coaching session is also where you have these icebreakers, right? So, you you know, you you talk about the, the weather, you talk about, hey, what did I do over the weekend or what's my travel plans and so on. But that's sort of the important part of just understanding what the context of that teacher is uh, before you go to the next step. And, and so the next step then is really saying, well, tell me about what you're looking to achieve from a lesson objective perspective. So maybe you've come in thinking about, hey, next semester, I want to be able to do digital portfolios with my kids or or something else. Um, so second is tell me about your objectives from a, from a lesson or an instructional perspective. The third is tell me about your challenges and your constraints. So for example, a challenge could be, hey, I'd love to do this stuff, but I don't have one-on-one -on -one devices, right? Maybe I have... You know, uh, you know, usually I get a card, let's say, and, uh, you know, I can only give devices to 50% of my kids, right? So so there may be challenges or constraints. Uh, they may be, hey, I've got, we can't use this because we don't have a license for it. Or, you know, we, uh, you know, we have a firewall in the district. So, so third, again, is tell me about your challenges and constraints. The fourth is tell me now as we get down to... Uh, a tool level or maybe a portfolio of tools and at that level, tell me about your knowledge gaps, right? So where is, and, and of course, we're not necessarily posing the questions in the same way. It's more of a conversation, but what we're really trying to get to is, well, where's the knowledge gap? So for example, if you're thinking about using Flip, which was formerly Flipgrid, well, do you know how to use this functionality within the tool? Do you know how to do this? Uh, let me understand those better so that I can guide you. And then finally, tell me about your hopes, like what, what would be ideal for you? Uh, what, what do you want to see happening in the classroom? Because that's really the anchor that we have to keep coming back to. Because then when you finish one coaching session and you go back to the next one, and we, by the way, we, we'll capture notes, right? So we, we capture structured notes so that we know exactly what happened. It's kind of like think of it as a call center operation, right? When you do a call with American Express or United or whoever, you know, they know things about the, the prior conversation and they can go bring that back up. And that's important. 
uh, in terms of being able to get to the next session and being able to support you effectively. So, so the hopes are important because then when you get to the next session, you're able to say, hey, how did that work out? And so it's really those five things. Um, and, and within each one of those, Scott, there's, there's kind of follow-up questions as well and becomes really much more of a, uh, of a conversation. But that's really, uh, at, you know, as a, as a sum total is, is the things that we are trying to understand better so that what we can do then is provide support that is actually, you know, aligned with what that teacher uh, needs and can actually use to make a difference in the classroom. I love that that follow through and the you know as you mentioned earlier the, the importance of empathy uh, listening to the teacher's needs but then in addition to the instruction that following through and that final step of doesn't make a difference in the classroom so I think that's that's wonderful. I think it's also helpful to see that you're coming at this from a corporate perspective and that means that you're able through the process to demonstrate there's a value that's being delivered based on you know contractual arrangements with different school districts or yeah that's exactly right correct? mark and um you know i'll i'll kind of uh go back to something that you were talking about earlier and you talked about um you know a lot of teachers want to get into instructional technology and 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 often they do. Uh, I mean, interestingly, if you if you look at a lot of districts across the U.S., the entry point for an instructional technologist is not necessarily um, from the outside. It's actually someone internally that maybe was a computer teacher, technology teacher, just was interested in technology that said, hey, we have a need, right? So you have a, a staff meeting and the principal says, guys, we we, we need someone who can do this. And someone raises their hand and says, I don't mind doing it, right? I love this and I, and I want to be able to do it. And so they start off with that passion. But often the challenge is that that passion doesn't cover all of the knowledge skill gaps, right? So often you get into these situations where you have someone that um, – yes has as has a foundational layer of of knowledge and yes is very passionate but they've got to go learn a ton of stuff um and in the meantime you still got these teachers that have to be supported um and and so you know that's that's the challenge that that has to be addressed as well so i think that oh, i see you mean i'm sorry to interrupt but no. to clarify you mean there's a skill and preparation gap based on what is really needed in that role yeah. and what what commonly those who want to serve in that role have as term have in terms of preparation correct uh, yeah that that's exactly right um so imagine I'll, I'll give you an example from a conversation that i was having from a, with a district leader about um so we're getting ready to support them with um with lego robotics um you know specifically you know on that because we've got a number of instructional technologists on our side that are certified you know lego trainers and so what they said was they said you know we've actually had lego kids for several years um we have a couple of teachers that that know uh, a fair bit about Lego, but for some reason we don't really get what we want out of our Lego program. And the reason for that is that in order for a Lego program, and this is true of many, many other edtech uh, hardware and software products is that you really have to think about, well, what's what am I doing in the classroom? What's my lessons? And I've got a plan uh, for Lego, I've got a plan around those lessons. And so if you're not thinking or you're not able to think 
uh, you know, at that level of detail and, and at that level of precision, then you're not going to get outcomes because you'll just kind of go grab lessons that might be available on a Lego site or elsewhere, and you'll try and implement them. But guess what? You're teaching the kids about photosynthesis, but you're doing a, a lesson on laws of motion just because you found that lesson. And so, yes, to your point, it's saying, well, yeah, you may have foundational uh, you know, you may have gaps in your knowledge and skills, but even if you don't, Mark, I mean, look, yes. it, it's it's impossible for anyone to know everything about technology, especially now when you think about what's happening in the AI space. Right. There's so much movement and so and the movement is so quick. Uh, you can't know everything, and so basically, our model is to say, look, we're not coming here to replace anyone that you already have, but we're basically saying let's augment your resources so that we can help we can partner to do much more, right? So if your internal instructional technologies, your on-staff instructional technologies happens not to know Lego, that's okay. It's understandable. It's not their fault. Uh, they're not expected to know everything, but we can bring in someone at, uh, you know, through a flexible kind of contractual agreement at a low cost, you know, that basically allows you to fill that gap. And through that, we'll end up training that uh, instructional technologies that you have on staff. So you know what? You may not need us for very long, and that's okay. Right. So, so it's about this sort of this this uh, this partnering truly that that is going to have much better outcomes for teachers. Uh, it's going to have teachers be much better supported, uh, and ultimately, student learning is going to benefit, which is really what we are all aiming for, right? Right. I get that. I think that that is so. Uh, refreshing to hear that you're trying to meet that or bridge that gap. Maybe I should say it that way, because there there are so many initiatives that districts would like to do or schools and districts, but they don't have the expertise. And so those initiatives get pushed off or, well, we'll, we'll do it another day once we have somebody qualified to support that. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the programs that are being offered to schools, they come with training, but the training and support is is so very limited. It's not enough to really see it through. Isn't that what you've seen too? Yeah, for sure, Mark. And um, I, I don't know if I shared these numbers with you. Um, uh, we've been collecting kind of anecdotally, um, you know, some data around what's the ratio of instructional technologies to teacher support uh, in districts across the country. Um, and on average, I mean, we're finding um, it's somewhere around one to three hundred, uh, one is to two, 300 teachers or so. Right. So so what that means is that you've got one instructional technologist that is supporting as many as 300 teachers. And so it's not surprising then that all the instructional technologists can really do is to deliver kind of standardized off the shelf professional development. Hey, so so for example, hey, let's do a session on uh, book creator or screencast-o-matic or something else, right? Uh, but by definition, just because of how broad the, you know the 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 support base is or the number of people that you need to uh, to support, you can't do anything that's much more personalized. So you can't really go into a classroom, observe a little bit, or even otherwise just conduct a teacher survey and say, well, what am I looking to do? You know, at my third grade uh, kids, and and how do I kind of personalize you know uh, professional development and coaching? And by the way, I mean, I share that number as an average, one in uh, one is to 300. Um, 
the best that I've seen is probably, um, I know some districts, in there may be other districts across the country, but I know some districts in Virginia, uh, because they have at the state level, they have this rule that you have to have one instructional technologist supporting a, a thousand students. And so that roughly equates to uh, you know, one instructional technologist supporting about 60 teachers. Um, that's, that's probably the best that I've seen. Right. Sorry to interrupt, but to clarify, that's a state requirement in yeah. Virginia. Yeah. And that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty unique in, in it terms is. of all of the states that you've worked in to see that kind of requirement is pretty unique. Right. Right. And and so the requirement I think that they set in place was really for student support, right? So they, they basically equated it to we'll need to have one instructional technologist for a thousand students. But if you work out sort of a ratio of, uh, you know, teacher to student ratio, you say, well, you know, I mean, there are some districts that are 11 in one. And then, you know, I, I, I usually just use a back of the envelope of 17, right? 16 or 17 uh, uh, students to a teacher. Uh, that works out to that one in 60 uh, ratio. But believe it or not, I mean, I've seen ratios of one in 1200 mark. I mean, it's, wow. it's, it's crazy, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you've got one instructional technologist supporting 1200 teachers. Um, and so- well, uh, our view is that um, you know what what needs to happen more is uh, you know over the last few years in particular a lot of uh, investment went into technology infrastructure and tools and it probably has to shift to support at some point because guess what you've got way too many tools and teachers are really not using them to anywhere close to the level that you'd like them to be using them and so you could probably have fewer tools, but just much better utilization of the ones that you choose to keep. Uh, and that's what is going to, is going to make a difference to, to teachers and, um, and, and ultimately to students. Well, it's, a, it's seemingly a good transition right now to bring up this topic of artificial intelligence because of any time where there has been uh, an, a time of new EdTech tools, now is a time. I mean, artificial intelligence is transforming every aspect of our society. But I can imagine the need for training and support for teachers now that we have this explosion of AI tools, you know, in our in our universe. It's it's everywhere, isn't it? So yeah. have you seen some good examples of training and support for teachers in terms of using artificial intelligence? Um, so here's what I will say to that, Mark, is I see um, some districts that happen to have uh, instructional technology leaders that um, got passionate about AI. Um, I've seen some of those districts starting to conduct more professional development and trying to get into coaching for teachers. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I mean, that's not surprising, right? So you, you have someone um, that just wants to take this on, wants to, to learn. Uh, cool thing about AI is that you can actually learn pretty well on your own because it's just so new for everyone by definition. Um, but have I seen a lot of schools or districts uh, where teachers are truly starting to use AI? Not really. Right. Because, you know, there's this sense of euphoria around AI. And candidly, it's a lot of it, I think, is still with, 
you know, the, the people that are in the know, right? They they know this stuff. They're, they're attending these conferences. They're reading a lot of stuff. They're looking at blogs. And so they're excited about it. But but now that that euphoria has to translate into teachers actually starting to utilize it. Um, and it will happen, right? But uh, but it's going to take some time. And so do we, and, and this of course is in the, uh, within the reality of what's, what's happening in terms of policy around AI across districts in the US right now, which right. is, you know, it's still fuzzy, right? Hey, should we block access? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day and they said they did a really powerful session on AI for principals. And they had principals that were basically, um, super excited and thinking hey what, what this could this could be helpful for our teachers in prep and planning and then uh, at the end of the session someone said well guys you have to uh start to to use this and kind of get through this in the next week or so because we are going to be blocking access to ai for students are coming back in so we're going to be blocking access to ai or to chat gpt oh, and so whatever you can you, you do you can do in the next you know, week or so, or do it, you know, outside of the or classroom. Do it off, but, yeah, do it off yeah, network. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you kind of have it, you can't really have it both ways, right? You can't get increased adoption, but, but not even have access. Um, I see. So, um, so I, I think that agree. that's what's happening. Yeah. At, go ahead. at this time, I think most of the innovations are in teacher use of the tools because we don't have uh, adopted AI tools that are safe for students that have been vetted and are right. uh, safe for students. I mean, there are some, but it's majority of the AI tools are uh, not ready for not ready for students to use, especially under the age of thirteen. Yeah, that's that's right, and and um, I, I would say I think on the teacher side, there's probably two things to keep an eye on. Um, one is that AI, Chat um, uh, GPT, and now you know, obviously, you have cloud and and you have Google Bot, and there's there's probably going to be others. Um, the cool thing about AI and AI tools is that um, these are tools that can actually save the teacher time, right? So when you look at at opportunities like, uh, hey, I'm writing essential questions, or I'm coming up with ideas for projects that my students can do, um, or even, hey, I'm gonna, I need to write up a formative assessment. In the past, I might have had to do it where I have to write it or adapt something that, you know, I did in prior years or someone else did. Well, now I can have chat GPT just, just churn this stuff out within minutes. Right. So that's the opportunity. But I think on the challenger side, what, what I'm seeing more and more of is, you know, obviously because AI is so emerging, there's lots and lots of tools showing up. So I actually have lists that, that I have seen. And, and, you know, one of them is, you know, sitting on my laptop right now. Um, I mean, there's probably 200 tools at the very least, right? That are around, you know, literacy and math. And and I mean, so now you have to have a way in which you can educate and support teachers on the use of those tools because every tool, you know, obviously people design for more refined user experiences and, and they want to make it easy to use. But no matter what you do, you're still going to have some complexity in using the tool. Um, and that's where now you have a new set of challenges because, you know, now you need teachers to be able to understand how to use those tools in order for, um, you know, for them to get what they want. So there's still yeah. learning that has to be done. And and it's still time that a teacher has to take uh, to be able to get more proficient. And so, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's those two sides that I think are, you know, are, there's going to have to be a balance on that. And the schools and districts that I think 
again, they can figure out how to support their teachers more effectively. They'll probably just figure out one or two areas, right? Mm -hmm. Just say, well, we're just going to zero in on those one or two areas and let's get good at those across the board. Like 80% of our teachers should be good at those. And then we'll figure out the next one and the next one and the next one. But we can't go like have you guys like start tackling every tool out there because then we're just like, you you just have so much more to do, you know, in, uh, and and it's yeah, going to be challenging for everyone. You're right. It can it can easily become overwhelming when you yeah. start looking at the list of new applications, especially when you're dealing with all the complexity of artificial intelligence and how does this work and what are the real benefits? Should I take the time to learn this? And right. you know what I mean? It's just easy to become overwhelmed. But I like that approach of saying, Okay, here are some things that we are definitely going to be good at. We these are things that have proven to have been proven to work and then we're going to just keep going. We're going to keep improving. Mark, as you were talking about uh yeah, we need to sort of really focus on on a couple of areas. So we, you know, we built early on, we built a chat GPT slash AI survey of teachers. Um, and and it sort of, again, it gets into some things like, you know, what's what's my sensitivity towards AI and, uh, you know, using it myself, using it with my students and things like that. But then it also gets into specific opportunities. So, hey, how comfortable do I feel uh, generating draft lesson plans with, uh, with AI? How comfortable do I feel, uh, you know, using AI to, generate research ideas. And so in that survey, as we're collecting that data, and I know you were asking about that earlier, uh, Scott, is is basically now uncovering opportunities for us to figure out what those one or two areas should be that we should provide more support on. So if we, if we see this, this kind of trade-off between, hey, I'd love to be able to do more in terms of being able to use AI for identifying research topics, but you know what? I don't really know how to do that. Um, well, that's an area. Let's focus on that as a school or a district for the next few months and really get good at that. Uh, because remember, AI is about prompt engineering. I mean, it, what you get back is only as good as what you put in as a, as a prompt. And 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 if if we are not going to be able to hold our teachers' hands through that process and have them get up the maturity curve of prompt engineering, um, you know, all of this is you know the opportunities that that could be unlocked through AI are are just not going to amount to much. Right, exactly. And I know that uh, we are all excited about the positive, you know, potential of AI uh, in education, but I feel compelled to bring up a concern that many uh, educators have, and that's about cheating. Is that something that you have started addressing in in your work? We definitely come across it, uh, Scott, but but candidly, uh, I think it's, it's premature to, uh, at least from our perspective, it's premature to, to, try and solve that because it's just an extremely difficult problem to solve. Um, and I, you know, as you know, a lot of districts are just blocking access for students. Um, uh, there are strategies around cheat proofing assignments, but you know, as you can imagine, cheat proofing an assignment basically requires a teacher to do more work, right? Or work in different ways because no longer can you just say, hey, write me an essay about, you know, what you did with your family last summer. Right, because a, a student that knows how to, even at a very basic level, know Chat GPT, could probably just you know put in three prompts and be able to just generate something, um, you know, in in five minutes that might otherwise have taken them a long time. So I think it's about um, 
is about starting to change assignment development and and assessment strategies and that again is 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 a pretty complicated and onerous thing to do so uh, no uh, we're not really seeing or hearing a lot. I think a lot of schools are just assuming that, well, for right now, we're not really going to tackle much the student use part of it. Um, but the teacher use part of it is the part that we want to be able to support, you know, in in much uh, more effective ways. Uh, the other thing I guess I would say is, and I think you just kind of alluded to this as well, Scott, I mean, some of the challenges around, you know, using chat GPT or AI in general is, you know, these language learning models have been trained on data sets that are predominantly, you know, kind of first world countries, right? So the US, Europe, and if you look at, you know, the representation from other parts of the world, in data sets, I was actually at a, at a United Nations meeting the other day, and we were talking about data sets. And um, 90, 95% of the data sets that are being used to train these language models are coming from first world countries, right? And so then you get into, well, what's the, how, how do you make what words is generated back? Is it is it representative of diversity? It does it is it is it even based on the experiences and the knowledge of people in other parts of the world whose content never made it as prevalently on on the internet and hence these language learning models don't use it so you get into all those kinds of issues as well which sort of you know with obviously with lots of schools and districts already struggling with inequity well is this potentially something that's going to take us further down that track I'm so happy to hear you talk about that because that's just going to continue for you know the foreseeable future those issues and and they could be exacerbated by ai and i think that i feel that students should learn about this they could learn about it early students at early ages learn about sorting and categorizing and these kinds of things and that's what these ais do is sort and categorize and put things into categories and we often just take those for granted because it's math or you know, we don't think about it because it's just there. But I think it's important for us to try to educate students on, you know, bias. And I know that can be done even at a at an early age. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that is so critical. And and but I think even in just in how you phrase that, Scott, I mean, it's such a great opportunity, right? I mean, we can we know AI is out there, everyone's in it, this there's such buzz around it. We know that kids are already using it, right? And so if you can use that as an opportunity, as sort of the case study and say, well, look, uh, you wouldn't have thought it. But there is bias within these models, and maybe it'll be solved or addressed over time. I mean, I know, you know, I mean, it's not just us talking about this. You know, the companies that have created these these products are, are going to be thinking about these issues as well. But it's such a great uh, way of being able to make those points about how how we need to address those those themes over time. Um, uh, you know, and and using again the buzz around uh, you know AI, you know, could be a great opportunity to open up those conversations. Absolutely. Well, great conversation. I feel like we could really start getting into it. Let's just say we're just beginning, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's so much here. I mean, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really, you know, exciting uh, space to be in. And, and, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I know we, we started off with, um, uh, you know, what, what sort of the entry point into this. I mean, to me, 
you know, it's it, the need to be able to support people with technology uh, when they need it and what they need it with and aligned with what their goals are is so critical. But we see it in our day to day lives. Right. I mean, just the other day, you know, my mm-hmm. my oldest uh, one got us a new printer. We all needed to kind of hook up to that printer so that, you know, we could, uh, you know, print off of it. And and my wife was probably the least you know, tech savvy of the five of us said, well, how do I do this? Right. And so again, if you think about that moment, you know, we could say, well, you know, here's the, here's the little pamp, uh, the, the manual that arrived with it. Why don't you go flip through it? Right. And figure it out. Uh, and of course I couldn't say that maybe the kids could get away with it. Uh, but, uh, or go watch this video. But instead we said, no, Hey, here's what you do. Let's, let's look at your, your phone or your computer, you know, let's look at that. Oh, so you've done this or let's just click on that and you're good. Right. So being able to, to react and respond to a, a technology issue or a technology problem uh, and meeting the person exactly where they are in that journey of, of problem solving uh, uh, and, and solution uh, identification, that's absolutely critical. And we just need to be able to do more of that with teachers in the classroom. Great. I totally agree with you. I guess all, awesome. I think it's a good it's a good call for us all to just evaluate what we could do more of and what we could do better. And that's a I mean that's a good place to start. Yeah. I think that's great. Well, I think we should we should uh commit to having some more conversations like this in the future. And uh I think we should widen our circle, you know, and I think there are other people that um, maybe our even listeners that would like to join us and just, you know, contact Scott or I, uh, you can also email ITO at laco.edu. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, maybe we can have a conversation together in the future and keep this conversation going. Thank you so much for this one. This is really interesting and exciting. And I think you emphasize the right things, uh, you know, uh, the empathy piece and really listening to teacher needs and, and that follow through the coaching. I think those are essential elements uh, to successful ed tech implementation. So I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Imran, thanks for taking the time today. We appreciate it. No, thank you so much, Mark. Uh, you know, uh, thank you, Scott, as well. Uh, this was great. I, you know, I, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, and uh, and I mean, you you both raised some some really really critical questions, and and uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, really appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you both today. Thank you. The Tech Lasso podcast is produced by the ITO coordinator team. We are part of the Technology Learning and Support Services Department at the Los Angeles County Office of Education. This work is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. And use our response form to be considered for inclusion in future episodes. Let us know what you're thinking.